0: Good morning to each of you. Glad you're here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, the first part of the chapter, uh, speaks about headship order and uh, what we call women's veiling. And I think, uh, I think, I'm not sure, I may have uh, preached on this passage uh, in 2016. I'm not sure, I couldn't find my notes. And I think maybe Rich preached on this chapter. I'm not sure when. But. So it's not like we've never talked about this, but I wanted to look at it this morning. Um, I want to say, first of all, that these verses contain a lot of details, and I will try very hard. I have tried uh, to be very brief and focused in my comments on these details and, and go in a straight line and not say any more words than necessary to say it. And part of the reason for that is that it's going to be a challenge to get through this in the time we have. And the second thing I want to say is that these verses teach things from my perspective, they teach things that even the most conservative Mennonites who we would say, we, we do this, um, and I would include us, um, struggle to practice well. And the question is how to talk about um, appearance issues, Without sounding or being legalistic, even, even when the goal is to be more scriptural, that's, that's a challenge. Uh, so I'm, I'm, in the things I say, I'm going to try to invite us to consider the things that I raise as concerns. And I'm going to try to do that without um, shaming or uh, attacking or being critical. So in verse 2, Paul praises them for remembering him in all things. He said, Now praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So he praises them for remembering him in all things, meaning in everything he taught them. And then he also praises them for keeping the the King James Version, says the ordinances, uh, which really isn't that word does not correlate to the term ordinances that Mennonites use of seven ordinances. But the King James says ordinances, and uh, the New King James says traditions. And this is the only time that the Greek word is translated ordinances in King James. And everywhere else is translated I believe, 12 places. Other places it's translated tradition or traditions. In many of those 12 places, it is Jesus using the Greek term. Um, I'll try to pronounce the Greek word. I'm not very good at pronouncing. Paradosis, I think, is the word. In those 12 places, Jesus uses the term in a negative sense to speak about the scribes and Pharisees use of the extra-biblical law that had existed in oral oral form prior to his coming. And uh, that oral tradition was then Uh, written down in the second century A.D. in what is called now the Mishnah. And Jesus was criticizing the scribes and Pharisees for their extensions of the law of Moses and the way they used those extensions and the way they focused on them. So what what are the uh, ordinances or tradition that Paul is talking about? What what is the meaning of the word? So it means the word means delivered and it refers to teachings, uh, commandments, narratives, historical accounts that have been handed down or delivered, and the main point of the word is that the things that were delivered did not originate with the person speaking them. They had enough, they come from outside, and Paul is saying here that, that this, this tradition originated with God. And so he grounds this teaching in creation and divine order and not in himself. Uh, Now, just a side note, uh, so the fact that the English word tradition is used, people often think about this kind of teaching, tradition, as a cultural thing. It's just a tradition. It's just a cultural thing that people had, and it's not it's not a commandment. It's not a Bible commandment. It's a cultural tradition. That That is how I, I tried to read and research, whatever, and a lot of the comments made about this chapter, the first part, are put into that context that, well, that was just their culture. But Paul says that his... Tradition, Kurdosis, came by revelation, came by divine authority, and originated with God in creation. And it's not; it doesn't have its source. The things he's saying, he says, does not have its source. They do not have their source in man. So I want to comment briefly on the custom. The customs of New Testament time: uh, Greek women never shaved their heads unless they were slaves. Uh, second, Jewish women shaved their heads only if they were accused of adultery by the husband. That's Numbers five eighteen. Men of the first century, Jews and Gentiles, attended worship with heads uncovered, both Jews and Gentile men. And Jewish men began wearing a head covering during worship in the 4th century A.D. Uh, prostitutes did not wear veils. Um, perhaps to draw attention to their hair, I'm not sure, but prostitutes did not wear veils in the New Testament time. Okay, so reasons for headship order and women to be veiled. The first reason, you have your notes on the back of the bulletin. The veiling is a symbol of the headship order present in the Trinity and established by God for Adam and Eve at creation. And this is taught in verses 3 to 9. So the principle of Creation order is stated in verse 3, and I will read. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. So the order Paul is saying was established at creation, and the veiling symbolizes this order. That's what Paul is saying. The veiling symbolizes this order. And the order that Paul gives is God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman. Now, I'll admit, as I say that, it bothers me. There are reasons it bothers me, and I will tell you what they are uh, at the end. There are concerns about, them. I have concerns about that, and many people do. But I'm telling you, this is what the scripture says. I, I didn't write it, okay? So the question is, what kind of relationships exist within this order that Paul is giving? So head, the word head, is a Greek word for the literal head. And the word is used here to refer to the part of the person that gives direction. The word is used here to refer to the authority of the, the authority that the head exercises over the body. Subordination or being under the authority of another does not imply inferiority in God's kingdom. And I will return to this later in verses eleven and twelve. So Being under does not imply inferiority. It doesn't imply that in the Trinity. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally divine, but they have different functions. So in the Trinity, headship order, headship order, God, the Son does not mean inferiority or control, but mutual working together. According to John 10:30 and 17, 21 to 24, Christ has never been inferior to the Father, but in his incarnation he willingly submitted to the Father's will in humble obedience. According to Philippians 2, 5 to 11, the Father's will in Christ giving up the glories of heaven and dying on the cross was not a will or wish imposed on the Son from above, but was a will affirmed and agreed upon and entered into freely and fully by the Son. And I think without a doubt we can say that the reason for that working together in agreement was the kind of relationship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had. And I think you could also say with assurance that the three persons of the Trinity have never had a fight. Okay? They've never had a fight, never had a disagreement. They have never taking advantage of one another, or worked outside of their three-in-one harmonious relationship. And this is the picture we have of what a headship is and the working together uh, as a team. So the meaning of the veiled head in relation to creation and authority, the meaning of it, the covered head implies subjection to some visible authority. That's the meaning of the symbol. The woman's authority is the visible man. The woman should be veiled because her head is present. Christ, the man's head, is not present. And the man should not have his own head covered because his authority, Christ, is not present. That's my understanding of the meaning of the verses. Then in verses 4 to 6, we have the principle of creation order explained. And verses 4 to 6 teach that both the woman's head and the woman's hair should be covered. So verse 4 says the man should pray with his head uncovered. And according to the teaching in these verses, the man's uncovered head is a sign, as I said before, that his authority is not on the earth or visibly present. And my understanding is that what is teaching is that men should not cover their heads with a symbol of authority. Now, I've had people ask me, well then, is it okay for a man to wear a cap or hat for protection or warmth or so on? And I have answered that, yes, I'm not wearing this, I wear a cap. Um, Sometimes a protection, hard hat. I'm not wearing it as a symbol of authority. I'm wearing it uh, to protect my uh, hard hat, to protect my head in some way, or to stay warm. But that is a question. I mean, I'm fine if we have a conversation about it. That's just me. That's the man. He should pray. Man should pray with his head uncovered. The woman, in verse 5, the woman who has her head uncovered, it says, dishonors. In the meaning of that word, dishonors is shames or disgraces. Either, maybe both, it's either uh, her own personal head or her visible head, the man. I'm not sure which it is, maybe both. Because if her head is uncovered, it implies that the woman has no authority in her presence on earth. And then in 5b, verse 5, the last part, the seriousness of this offense of the woman's uncovered head, is to have the head uncovered is just as serious as having her head shaven. This statement does not mean that to uncover the head is the same thing as shaving the head. That's not what it means. It means that the one is as serious as the other. To have the head uncovered is as serious as having... The head shaven. And when I was a student at Liberty, uh, I had a teacher who was not teaching on this subject, but he referred to First Corinthians 11, the first part, uh, for some reason I don't remember why, and he made the comment that that this uh, that the hair is the covering. So. I went up to him afterward, and I asked him about it. And he said, well, he, he and his wife had grown up in a brethren church. And uh, they had practiced. He remembered that the, there had been this practice of women's veiling uh, long ago. And um, now there, there wasn't. And uh, he thought the hair was covering. And I, I said, well, okay, okay. Uh, I want to talk with you about it more. So I came. This this was on a Friday, maybe. I went back on Monday, and I had written out these verses four through seven, and everywhere it said that the woman's head would be uncovered, I I put in shaven, and. If you do that, they make absolutely no sense. The verses do not make any sense if the hair is the cover. Uh, here's how verse 4 would read. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, that would mean being unshorn or having hair on his head if, if the hair is the covering. If he has hair on his head, he dishonors his head. So that means that all men have to have their heads clean shaven. And then verse 5, but every woman that prays and prophesies with her head uncovered, that's shorn with no hair on her head, dishonors her head, for that's as though it were shorn. And, uh, you know, my thought, I don't mean to be whatever, but. That's really profound, that if if she doesn't have hair on her head, she doesn't have hair on her head. So we haven't really said too much there. Um, And then verse 6, For if the woman be not covered, if she is shorn or has no hair on her head, let her also be shorn. So, I don't know how you shave the head that doesn't have hair on it. Anyway, I showed that to him, and he read it, and, and uh, he said, okay, he, he was a very, I really appreciate him, he was a very respectful person, he said, you know what, you're more right than I am. <clears throat> Verse 7, uh, no, conclusion, so the conclusion then, I would say, there is no way that the hair can be the covering in these verses. There, there is no way. The verses make absolutely no sense when read that way. Then we have the defense of the headship principle and its expression in verses 7 to 9. Um, verse 7, the first part, says that man is the image and glory of God. That is, man was given a sovereignty over creation, authority. And by his function reflects the majesty of the divine rule. He should not veil, cover, hide any part of his head and the authority it represents. That's what the verse 7 is saying. By covering his head, he would hide the image and glory authority God placed in him, and he would tarnish his reflection of God's authority. And then the last part of verse 7, the woman is the glory of man. Her her authority is derived from his authority. Then verses 8 and 9 are a defense of the principle in 7b. And I will read 7 again. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So, uh, the woman is the glory of man because she was created after and from him, the rib from his side. And she, uh, her role was to serve as his helper. Yeah. I want to say, and helper does not mean slave. Complete what was was lacking in him. Uh, So, um, I'll give you an example of that. So, Macy and I have had some conversation this week about this sermon. And uh, I told her some things that I wanted to say. And I told her um, how I was going to say them. She's not going to look up here at me while I'm saying all this. And, um, sh- so she suggested to me that uh, she would like to have the freedom to say a few things about the things I said I was going to say. And, uh, she wanted to, if I wanted to hear them, and I said yes, yeah I did. So she said her a few things. It wasn't many, but she said a few things, and um, um, I decided that uh, the things she said were very wise, and uh, that was how I was going to say the thing I was trying to say. And I haven't said the thing that she was talking about yet, but I will in a little bit. I just think, you know, it's it's pretty easy for all of us men, and even women who have authority in some way, to become somewhat um, opinionated and maybe even stubborn in our point of view that we're right about something when there may be some other. Uh, approach, way of saying it, there would be better. So, thank you, my dear. Reason two given here is because of the angels. Verse 10, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Um, (coughs) For this reason, uh, because she was taken from man to be his helpmeet and his glory for this reason, she should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So, what, what is the meaning of this? Or what, what about because of the angels? And I don't know the answer to that for sure. I'll say a few things. Uh, she should have a covering as a sign that she is under the authority of her husband, even though she is equal in spiritual matters and does not receive spiritual life through him. I think the angels know these things and they're watching this. Even though she has a spiritual relationship with Christ that is not rooted in men, yet she accepts um, his authority. Um, But this is a difficult verse. Uh, The angels observed the order established at creation. I believe that's true. And they are now observing whether that pattern and order is being practiced now, carried out by God's people. And perhaps angels are learning from what they see, the meaning of oneness in Christ as they observe Christian marriage and how men and women relate. Uh, there are many, many other views, as many as 15 to 20, actually, um, which I won't go into. The third reason, because of nature, and I'm skipping verses 11 and 12 for the moment. Verse 13 Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. And this is, doesn't nature teach you this? Um, So uncovered... The word uncovered in these verses comes from um, three Greek words that mean not, down upon, and to cover something with something so as to hide it. As a lamp covered with a vessel, to shield it, or a ship covered with waves—that's how the word is used in scripture and in classical Greek. And the word, uh, yeah, the word uncovered. That—that's the idea. So if one goes only by the meaning of the Greek word, the thing that covers should be designed to hide that which it covers. I think that's what's taught here. The thing that covers, the symbol, should hide what it covers. And I don't believe, and here's where uh, I, I want to say things in a helpful way and not in a critical way. I don't believe this means that every hair must be covered. Uh, Rather, the idea is that the hair which is a covering of glory should not be uncovered from public view. That's the idea. That's one thing. And second, the veiling is more than a symbol or sign since it is intended to hide the hair from public view. So... Um, so I'll pause here and uh, make several observations so I want to say then as gently and respectfully as I know how that see-through and small veils don't meet this requirement they do not Cover and hide the hair and, and they, they don't meet the requirement in these verses and and I also want to say that I believe small veilings and veilings that are placed way back on the head and the hair do not meet the requirements in these verses so So I am entreating us, all of us, to consider carefully what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to be mean or critical. Just I think this is what's taught. So nature teaches That a woman should have long hair and a man should have short hair. And long hair is a woman's glory. And the long hair is a covering. And I'm going to say from the scripture, from these verses, the long hair is not the cover. It is a cover. It is not, the long hair is not the symbol of authority. In covering here the word for hair covering of hair is not the same Greek word as the covering that 's talked about. They are two different words so long hair is a covering or robe of glory for the woman, and so the woman has two coverings: the long hair and the symbol of authority. Then verses 11 to 12 I'm calling a caution uh, concerning man, woman or husband, wife relationships. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman Came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So whatever headship means between the Father and Christ is what it means between man and woman. So Christ was still divine equal in character and value with the Father while on earth. But Christ was under the authority of the Father both before and after he came to earth. Now, according to John fourteen seven to 11 and I'm going to read these, but Christ being under the authority of the Father did not mean I'm not sure how to describe what I want to say it doesn't mean. Uh, It does not mean mindless, helpless, non-participation in decisions or knowing. That's not what it meant. So these verses, uh, John 14, actually 5 through 11. Thomas said to, to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So, how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father. And the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And so the appeal that Jesus is making there is that the Father and I have a very intimate relationship. And who who he is is who I am, and what he thinks is what I think. And we are working together in harmony and in love and respect. as one for man and woman are equal in value and spirituality I think we know this is true I think we know this is what the Bible teaches but they have different, different functions so scripture teaches that men are the leader or authority this is not a statement about who has the most power or who has the most value, or who is the most intelligent. It's a statement of function and of roles. And verses 11 to 12 teach that men and women are dependent on each other. Evil is taken from Adam's side, and all men since Adam have been born of a woman. So this interdependence. In the Lord, neither man or woman is better than the other or more valuable or more spiritual or more intelligent. Although it is true, I think in general, in general, not in every case, that men and women have a different way of uh, combining and expressing what the mind and heart say their mind and emotions the way they come together inside the person I think there's some difference inborn between men and women there are exceptions and and whatever this is there's difference between people too. And whatever this is, this is not about value or intelligence. It's the way people function differently and the way their thoughts and emotions come together inside. And according to Scripture, the woman is not a slave. The woman is under man's authority, but she is his co partner, not his. Slave. And in many practical matters, each is dependent on the other, verse 11. Neither should look down on the other. So, it is a sin. Now, I have reasons for saying this. It is a sin for a man to tell a woman that she is stupid. I know women who've been told that. They have told me they've been told that. She's, she is stupid because her brain and heart, her reasoning and emotions, functions different than a man's, so she's stupid. Is it a sin for a man to tell a woman that she needs to function like a man? Is it a sin for a man to demand that a woman think what he thinks, always think the same thing? And like, like she's a clone to him. All these kinds of attitudes and behaviors are sin. And they violate the image of God in people. And according to Galatians 3, both men and women receive spiritual life the same way. Now my son, so verse 16, the last verse says, those who want to be contentious about this matter should realize that what I teach here is the only position and practice I and the churches have. I know the King James is a little bit convoluted. Two coverings, what I've said this morning, two coverings, veilings are spoken of here. The hair is a covering and an external veiling is to be worn over the hair that covers and hides the hair. And I believe the covering veiling should cover a decent portion of the hair according to the scripture. So I had two primary reasons for preaching this sermon, saying the things I've said. Um, First one, I'm concerned that we understand and practice what is taught here that the women have two coverings, the long hair and the symbol of authority that hides the hair. <clears throat> and I have um, had quite a bit of experience uh, trying to administer guidelines about coverings and various things in church life and in faith builders and um, I've had 50 years to observe patterns and and what I observe is that coverings tend to get smaller and they tend to go back further on the head and 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 for whatever reason, there's a tendency toward wearing symbols that are not religious symbols at all, such as bands. And, and uh, so this is one reason I'm talking about this. I'm not saying anybody here is doing this. I'm just saying that this is what I observe. Uh, the second reason I wanted to talk about this is I am concerned... That our men exercise their authority in a way that those under them know they are loved, cherished, and respected as valuable people. Created in the image of God. And and to be very honest, I am uh, some days very distraught. about the amount of verbal, emotional, spiritual, physical, and sexual abuse among conservative Mennonites. And I'm very sorry. I'm sorry to be so negative at the end of the sermon. My problem is I hear about these things every week. Emails, texts, and phone calls. It is distressing. This is the thing that I get the maddest about of anything in life. Sometimes, I'm sorry, I'm infuriated. Like I need help to calm down. I feel myself getting worked up right now. like one of these a week, more. It's an overwhelming problem among our people. I'm talking about Amish, every kind of Mennonite, and I know, I know, I know, I know, That the same thing is true probably at Baptists and Methodists and everybody else. Okay. But we are not them. We are us. And we claim to be more holy and righteous and upright. I'm sorry. This is just totally distressing to me. I don't know what y'all are going to do with me. I believe wrong views of the meaning of male authority over women contributes to this problem. And I'll just mention one thing that I hear. I hear people say that I couldn't say anything, and I couldn't say no, and I couldn't do anything about it because I didn't have a voice, because I was a girl or I was a woman. And I had to do what the man said. It's what I was taught. There's something absolutely wrong with being taught that you have to sin because someone tells you to. <clears throat> okay. I'm 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 sorry for being so negative at the end here. And I want to say that I believe Scripture has answers to these kind of sins. And I also believe those of us in positions of authority, pastors, fathers, husbands, school teachers, whoever, I think we have, uh, I'll, I'll say, God-ordained authority to address these sins. And it's also been very distressing to me to hear of situations where nobody is doing anything about what they know is wrong. That troubles me, too. So, Brother John... I don't know how to finish here, so maybe you'll have to finish. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. thank you that you uh, know us and understand us and care about us. And so we are inviting you to speak to us, to lead us, to teach us. To direct us into um, a life that's, that's deeply rooted in you. A life that expresses your life. And your view of humans. Give us wisdom in this. And give us, uh, give us energy and courage, and hope in hoping you that we would know how to live well, and how to lead well, and bless each of us to that end. And thank you, Amen.